By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the fruit of the Spirit is accessible to us. And we pray that as we study, as we look at patience today, that from this lesson, you would teach us how to be more patient. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. The spring before I moved to New York City, I planted my first garden in my yard. I lived in a type of mother-in-law suite in Berrien Springs, Michigan. Some of you know where that is. And I surrounded the outside of my apartment with cherry tomato plants. I only, well, I guess I should say, I only like tomatoes if they come fresh from the garden. I typically don't like them if they're store-bought, so just a note to those, those chefs out there. The harvest was beautiful. Things seemed to grow very well in Berrien Springs, even though the growing season is not that long. And so when summer came, I had the veggies, I had the fruits that I wanted, but along with that came summer's most dreaded enemy, okay, arguable, fruit flies. I thought I'd hear a bigger response, but that's okay. Fruit flies, fruit flies. And for some reason, no matter how much scalding hot water that I poured down the drain or placed apple cider vinegar traps around the kitchen or packaged my fruit in the fridge and the freezer, they just always seemed to appear. So finally, I got fed up. That's it. So I decided, you know what? I'm gonna vacuum these suckers up. So I went next door and I got my neighbor's heavy construction vacuum with this long pull thing. And yes, I looked crazy, crazy like a mad woman. And I go and I'm just vacuuming the air, every nook, every cranny. And finally, when I had finished, kind of sat down with a sigh of relief I'm like, all right, no more fruit flies, at least for a little bit. And just as I was feeling content with myself, two fruit flies flew across the front of my face. <sighs> what I didn't realize was that I had planted tomato plants right under my kitchen window, okay? And whenever I let the window up, you know, for the evening summer breeze, the fruit flies that were on the tomato plants would squeeze into my, my kitchen through the tiny holes in the screen. And so there was an endless supply. It was an aha moment for me. Because although that story is about fruit flies being a nuisance, I want to make a point about fruit in general. Fruit attracts. Fruit 
attracts. Fruit is attractive. It has an allure to it. It's desirable. In the way that this idea is a principle of nature, it is also a spiritual principle. A vegetable garden will attract not only animals, but humans. An apple orchard will not only attract animals, but humans. Bushes of berries will not only attract animals, but also humans too. And so our current series has been on the fruit of the Spirit. Todd and Stephen have talked about a number of attributes. And the reality is, is that the fruit of the Spirit produces within the believer attributes that attract. God produces in the believer attributes that attract. Attract what? Not only animals, animals like nice humans, but humans too. Humans too. Having the fruit of the Spirit is attractive. Wherever these attributes of the Spirit are manifested, you will find that these spaces, these communities, or these individuals tend to attract others to themselves. That's why sinners were attracted to Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is, in fact, the key ingredient to cultivating a healthy, thriving, harmonious community. It is also a defining marker of the children of God. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, our text of emphasis says, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. Now, if you didn't know, the Bible talks a lot about fruit, a lot. Jesus continually illustrates concepts of the kingdom of heaven using uh, uh, the life cycle principles of plants that produce fruit, grapes, figs, olive trees, and branches, okay? Those are just a few. And so this morning, we're going to focus on the attribute of patience. And we will seek to answer two questions. What is it? And how can I become more patient? What is patience? If I give you a textbook definition, uh, we'd zoom in on the book of Galatians, and specifically this chapter, chapter 5. So for some context, when Paul addresses the Galatians in his letter, he's not simply speaking to an individual, He's speaking to a community of believers. Therefore, what he's telling them, specifically about the fruit of the Spirit, should be understood as something that is manifested within a community, within a number of people. It should be understood as something that you see demonstrated the clearest when engaging with others. Fun fact, human beings were not meant to be alone. Maybe you knew that, maybe you didn't. In fact, we were created to dwell among 
each other. We were created that way. God is a communal God, and he created a communal people. You can't fully experience or demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit by yourself. It's really hard to demonstrate how to be patient when you're just by yourself. These attributes are linked to an experience within a community, within a space of people. And so the definition of patience in this context means forbearance or long-suffering or waiting sufficient time before expressing anger. It's the opposite of short-tempered, which would be long-tempered. The definition goes even deeper by also describing the attributes as divinely regulated, meaning that this type of patience described here in Galatians 5 is used of God himself. God uses this patience being described here in Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, and therefore, it is only God who can give you the same type of patience that he uses himself. And that is why it is part of the fruit of the Spirit. The story of Joseph immediately comes to mind in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. To recap, Joseph was the son of Jacob, one of 12. And Joseph was a favorite of his father because Joseph uh, was the offspring of his favorite wife, Rachel. And that was a problem because Joseph's brothers didn't quite like that. Jealousy in the ranks. And it didn't help that Joseph was also getting these dreams. These dreams that he would describe to them where he would be, you know, uh, uh, um, elevated and his brothers and family would be bowing down to him. And so he would tell them these dreams and it would make them even more angry. And so by this time, Joseph's brothers went off to tend some flocks in kind of a, a nearby uh, town and Joseph went to check on them. And so as he was coming, they plotted and they said, hey, let's kill him. Let's get rid of the dreamer. And they said, no, 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 we can't kill him, we can't kill him. So they didn't kill him, but they took him, they beat him, his own brothers, and threw him in a pit. They threw him in a pit, and he begged them to help. Instead, they sold him into slavery. Some merchants were coming through, and they sold their very own brother. He gets to Egypt, obviously as a slave, beaten, whipped, but God is with him and he does good work, so he's elevated into the house of Potiphar, one of, his, one of Potiphar's right-hand men. And as he's working in the house, Potiphar's wife, her eyes start to graze over Joseph, and she tries to tempt him, this seductress, and Joseph says, no, I cannot sin against God. <laughs> anyway, so he flees. And because she doesn't get what she wants, she accuses him of rape. And so Joseph is thrown into prison, this innocent guy. And there he stays 
And he meets a couple people from, from the Pharaoh's court. He interprets their dreams, but they forget about him. He interprets them accurately, and then he's forgotten. But then eventually he goes to the king's court, or to the Pharaoh's court, and he's able to use the gift God gave him to tell the dream of the Pharaoh, and he gets out. But basically what happened was Joseph was pulled from his home. He thought he'd never see his father again, all because of jealousy. He goes through this tragic experience in the narrative. And at the end of the narrative, his father Jacob, as he passes away, and his brothers become fearful. Why? If you have your Bible, I'm reading from Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. Genesis chapter 50, verse 15 through 21, and this is what happens. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, what if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? So they approached Joseph saying, your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of God your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him and said, we are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. Wow. Now, after all these years, after all this time, Joseph has the rightful position to, to finally repay his brothers for the evil they've done to him. I mean, he could have been fueled on those memories, fueled with anger. They sold me, then I got accused of this, then they beat me, that this. I mean, he could have lived his life a very angry man. But Joseph's brothers, they, they cower in fear. And Joseph, who could do anything at this point, speaks to them tenderly and kindly. Divinely regulated patience. A patience that only God can give. And so he draws them, he attracts them to himself. There is no way that a human being can conjure this type of patience of themselves. This, this magnitude of betrayal, this level of disloyalty requires divine patience, long suffering. You know, I am 100% sure that God took my path through teaching children so I could learn to be more patient. I mean, I was a teacher prior, prior to coming here to Advent Hope. 
You know, children, you know, they will literally do things to work your nerves just because they want to work your nerves. And then you tell them something and they act like they can't hear. So then you have to repeat yourself multiple times so it's clear. But then, if you're wise, you remember that you are that kid. You are that kid that needs to be told multiple times to do something. You are the kid who needs patience, needs to experience patience and have patience. You know, patience can also be described as, hey, now follow me, the reality of waiting for someone to arrive at a similar or harmonious conclusion, or we could even say understanding, as you, to, to in a way stand on the same plane, arrive on the same spot. And sometimes that takes a really long time. Sometimes it doesn't even happen. Because intelligent beings were created to move on reason and choice, not commands and force. So you have to leave them room to use their reasoning power, use their mental uh, uh, stamina and skill to arrive at the same plane by their own choice and decision. It requires patience. Can you imagine the infinite God waiting for humanity to arrive at the same thought destination as him when it comes to salvation? He wants to get us on the same plane. How, like, how long does, does it take to get humans to understand the necessary intricacies of the plan of salvation? Because that's exactly what he's doing now. Trying to help us understand. Because look, if it was up to us, thank God it's not. But if it was up to us to decide whether to extend the gift of salvation to your worst enemy, would we arrive at the same conclusion as God? Would we stand on the same plane? How long would he have to wait for us to arrive at his same conclusions? And so God has to keep repeating himself so it's clear. So he bears long. He's long-suffering with humanity because we are very slow to get the point. And like helpless sheep, the gentle shepherd leads us day by day, gently repeating the lessons he's already taught. God is very patient with us. In fact, I would argue he, he has to be even more patient and long-suffering with sinners because we're so backwards. We're, we're just, we're just thick-skulled. Patience. 
But, but the Bible actually talks about the type of patience that God has. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says this. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, waiting for you to arrive at the same thought conclusion as him, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is patient, and he wants to extend that same type of patience that he has to you. Now, how do I become more patient? It's the second question. How? How? You may be saying to yourself right now, I am not patient. Maybe you're not. I'm thinking that. I'm not as patient as I would like to be. I've come a long way. <laughs> or maybe you know someone who's not patient at all. I mean, go out to New York City. <laughs> Have you been to New York City? <laughs> Have you heard the honks in the street? <laughs> Patience is, is not our, our number one here in New York. But here's the good news. Though we all may have a measure of patience, it can be developed with intentionality and with practice. Proverbs 19 verse 11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger. Good sense. Proverbs 14 29 says, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. In order to become more patient, the Bible says, get sense and understanding. Start asking questions before you allow your patience to expire. Now, um, <laughs> My friend Jade is here. Hi, Jade. And we were hanging out a couple weeks ago, and we had ordered some food. I think it was from Grubhub or, you know, one of the apps. And we ordered the food, and, and the food arrived over an hour late. The expected time was maybe 20 minutes, half an hour. And we watched the map. We were watching the map and we saw the driver go back, go for here, here, circle around, go all the way over here, back over here, passing our residence multiple times. And so now I'm, I'm upset. Because <laughs> I ordered food and I want it and I don't like people playing with my food. So we go outside and we're like, you know, we're gonna wait at the corner, maybe we can flag him down. So we're waiting, we're waiting. And I'm thinking to myself, man, oof, man, when he pulls up, oh man. And I stopped and I said, Michelle, maybe there's a reasonable explanation for this. So the Uber driver finally arrives. And, um, you know, Jade is like, thank you, ready to walk off. And I'm like, no, 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 I need answers. <laughs> so I said, oh, thank you. Thank you so much for the food. What happened? We saw you, you know, drive back and forth, back and forth. What's going on? 
And he pointed to the map. He said, no, 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 this is not the right address. Somehow, a different address of a random apartment right, that would be right next to ours was put into the system, and so he couldn't find the address. So he didn't have the right address to begin with. Now, I don't know if that happens to you where you swear you put in the right address, and then you wind up not having done that. <laughs> but that's exactly what happened. So it really wasn't his fault. I said, oh my goodness. All right, thank you. Have a good night. Now, that could have went really sour. He could have pulled up, and I could have just unleashed. But I said, you know what? Let me ask a few questions first. Let me ask a few questions. MJ Ryan, she's a, uh, a New York Times bestselling author. Some consider her uh, an expert on change, okay, transformation. She writes motivational books. And she wrote the book, The Power of Patience, how, how the old-fashioned virtue can improve your life. And she says this. She says, ultimately, our task as patience seekers is to increase self-awareness. Awareness doubles the time between impulse and action. Self-awareness. And so she continues in the book giving these practical tips on how you can practice patience in your life. And so she says things like, be honest about your current patience levels. Know where you're at. If you're someone with more patience or you're someone with a short fuse, you need to know that. And then she says, know your impatience triggers. We all have triggers. We all have some things that just tick us off. We need to know those so that we can see the trouble coming and be prepared to respond. You've got to know your triggers. She says, uh, patience is cultivated through the rational response of analysis. It is essential that we begin our training in patience calmly not while experiencing anger. She said, you have to start practicing patience when times are calm, not when you're in the heat of the moment. You have to prepare. All right, and then she says, she says many things, but the last one I'll share with you, she says, take a breather. Take a breather. Stop. Breathe, is it the end of the world? Probably not. And try and practice patience. Last thing, how do we become more patient? Look at what the Bible says in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5. John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5. Thought I was there. It's Jesus, this uh, uh, famous chapter on the vine, the grapes and the vine. And he says this, verse 4. 
Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. How do we become more patient? Abide. Abide. We need to take time to learn of God, to speak with God. It is in that exchange, that transfer, that the transfer of who he is begins to change who we are. The Bible says, rightly, by beholding, we become changed. And so something MJ Ryan says, she says, look, tune into yourself in the morning. Set aside time, whether it's 10 minutes, 20, a nugget of time to yourself. Typically, when you set your day that way, the rest of the day will trickle according to how you started it. Now, if we pair John 15 and that advice together, reflect on the life and teaching of Jesus, and then reflect on yourself. She continues by saying, part of our lack of patience comes from the fact that we are being pulled in so many directions that we don't have time to pay attention to ourselves. She says, our reservoir of patience is refilled through attention to our own needs. You know what a need of every individual is? More Jesus. As a Christian, I believe that. You need more time to view, to look at this life and ask him to help you emulate it. So what do we do now? How has your experience with God allowed you to live a more harmonious, uh, 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 live in more harmonious relationships with your community and with people around you? Right? How would more patience impact or improve your work life or your family life, relationships with friends? How would it attract or draw people closer to you rather than push them away? When will I take the time to become more self-aware? When will I take the time to abide? As you answer these questions, realize that God is doing a transformative work in you, not only to prepare you for community on this earth, but to prepare you for harmonious community in eternity. Is that your desire? To be prepared to live in a community that functions and moves with love, joy, peace, faithfulness, all of these things. I hope it is, and I pray that God will help it to be our experience.